0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Keely. Hey, Chris. Welcome to Hurt It on the Sidelines. Hurt It. Hurt it on the sideline with Shotgun Spratling. Spratling. Welcome to another edition of the Hurt It on the Sidelines podcast with Shotgun Spratling, where we discuss what's going on at USC, but also try to pull back the curtain to give you an insider's perspective from the people around the Trojans athletic programs. The Hurt It on the Sidelines podcast is part of the Peristyle podcast family. On today's episode, we're making our way over to Dado Field to talk USC baseball with new head coach Andy Stankiewicz, who was brought in to try to resurrect a program that's been in the doldrums for the better part of two decades now. Stankiewicz was hired from Grand Canyon after 11 years leading the Antelopes. The Southern California native helped turn around the program there, building a powerhouse in the WAC. He took GCU to the Division II College World Series in his second season before the Lopes made the jump to the Division I and had to go through a four-year transition period where they were not allowed to play in the postseason. Stankiewicz led the Antelopes to a conference regular season title in four of his last five full seasons and won the WAC Coach of the Year award in all four of those years. He finished his tenure with Grand Canyon with back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances. It were the first two Division I tournament appearances for the school. That includes last season becoming the ultra-rare WAC team to earn an at-large berth, first time that's happened in nearly a decade. Stankiewicz will join us momentarily to talk about his hire in the whirlwind last two months. And then later, we'll talk to former Arizona State assistant coach and now D1 baseball analyst and ESPN color commentator Mike Rooney about the hire and what he thinks it'll take to get the USC baseball program back on track. We now welcome in the newest head coach of the most prestigious college baseball program in America, Andy Stankiewicz taking over the USC baseball program. Andy, thanks for taking the time to join us. Shotgun, my, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Obviously, you've been an extremely busy man since you were hired last month, and I definitely want to get into the grind you've been on. But first, got to start with the hire itself. Have you been able to take that moment and really reflect on being hired as the head coach of USC?
1: Well, interesting. This, uh, this morning we had an uh, all-staff meeting over at the uh, Gillen Center, and I uh, think just sat down in the middle of all the USC – coaches, right? Assistant head and everybody. I mean, from compliance to strength strength team, training crew, all of it. And it was just kind of like that little bit of a surreal moment, man. I'm sitting in the in the Galen Center as the new head coach at, at USC in, in baseball. So it was it's pretty cool. Um but like you said, since we've gotten here, you just kind of hit the ground running. You don't have really time to think about more than just trying to get your coaching staff together, trying to get the players together, trying to trying to get on the recruiting trail, just trying to trying to get the ball moving as quickly as we can in the right direction. But, uh, yeah, I think it's starting. I think now we're we're getting our feet on the ground a little bit more and a little bit, okay, I can breathe a little bit in that regard. And uh, um, I'm looking back a little bit and, I look, my office overlooks this beautiful stadium, Dado Field. and I look out and see that beautiful grass and that, that infill dirt. And, man, it's uh, I'm a blessed man, shotgun.
0: You obviously are not, uh, you know, unfamiliar with USC. Growing up in Los Angeles, what was kind of your impression of the USC baseball program growing up? Seeing, uh, you know, Rod Dado and, and the success that they had under Rod Dado as you were growing up as a baseball player.
1: Well, you always, you know, when you go up in Southern California, when you thought about U- USC, you thought about football, right? You thought about, uh, um, you know, Mark Allen, right? Charles White, and those were the guys that I grew up watching playing football and dreaming of maybe playing football someday. That was probably my, my first love. And then, but then you obviously baseball became a, a big player for me as well. And so I started watching baseball and paying more attention to college baseball locally. And, and you look at the history of USC baseball and coach Dado and you play summer ball and you play with guys that played here. And, and you always ask them questions about coach Dado and what, what was he like? And, you know, cause as when you played them, you're always just, playing at Pepperdine, we play, you know, USC every year. And, you always just kind of wondered, you know, what was it like to play for Coach Dado, right? And so um, there was just that always that kind of that allure of what, you know, Coach had done here, what the program had done prior. And then when Coach Gillespie got the job, my summer ball, I I played for Coach Gillespie for two years in North Pole, Alaska, in the Alaska League. And so when he got the job, it just kind of – I love him. Um, He's a huge – mentor to me in my my career as a player and then as a coach and so I've always he's had a great impact in my life and so when he got the job I was just excited for for coach Gillespie that he was the guy that got to be the head coach at, at USC and then watching his success as he took over and much what he did and so um yeah you just as, as an outsider looking in as a young man you knew it was special you knew it was something different and uh now to be a part of it it's, it's a it's, it's a pretty cool deal.
0: What do you think your younger self would say about the possibility of you being named the Trojans head coach? Um, or even along the way, uh, when Mike Gillespie gets it, you know, just the, you know, those two guys back to back, you know, had such a tremendous run for USC and, you know, such legendary coaches each in their own right uh, to be uh, in that lineage. You know, what, what would your younger self kind of think of that?
1: Well, my younger self probably wouldn't, wouldn't have thought of myself as a coach back then because uh my younger self would have been hey man you're you you do not coach you play um but I think as I got older and I when I got done playing um I knew that I wanted to continue to coach. I knew right away that I wanted to I knew baseball was gonna continue to be a huge part of my life and I didn't know whether it was going to be from a professional standpoint. And I started there in player development with the Yankees when I retired as player and then but then I got back to the college game and I knew that you know what going to Pepperdine had done for me and what my coach coach Gory, had done for me and impacted my life and so I, I knew there was a chance maybe to get back and do college someday but then so when I started call, coaching in the college game you know the, the chance the opportunity to maybe come back home someday was always something quite honestly it was in the back of my mind that man it would be what a cool thing it would be to be able to come back to to USC someday and but I knew that I had work to do where I was, wherever I was. I was ASU for three, and then and then Grand Canyon for the last eleven. And so, yeah, I, my younger self would have said, "Down, nah, that's not, not really going to be a possibility." But as I got older, I'm a dreamer. I believe in in visualizing and in seeing things that could possibly happen. And I, I started dreaming on this when I started coaching college baseball.
0: You obviously were able to build that Grand Canyon program up. But you know, one of the things I found interesting, you talk about your experience at Pepperdine. You know, the Matt conference has been called the cradle of coaches for football coaches for all the football coaches produced. Maybe Pepperdine should be looked at similarly with baseball coaches. I mean, there's five current West Coast head coaches. Rick Hertensteiner at Pepperdine, Larry Lee, Cal Poly, Mark Wasikowski at Oregon, Eric Valenzuela, at Long Beach State and yourself, along with burn coaches like USC's Chad Cruder, Baylor's Steve Rodriguez, Jacksonville's Tim Montez handful of coaches at the pro level. Uh, you know, what what from, was it from that experience playing at Pepperdine, especially the groups that played under Dave Gory and Andy Lopez that kind of created an environment that maybe produce so many quality coaches?
1: Good question. I don't know. Maybe there's something in the water in Malibu. I, I don't I really <laughs> have an answer to that. Um, obviously, great coaches that we were coached by, like you said, Coach Gory and Coach Lopez, um, two of the Hall of Fame coaches, and they're obviously in their own right. And I think you know, I just you, you fall in love with the game of baseball, and I think all those guys you mentioned. I, I played with Larry Lee when he was a uh, senior; I was a freshman, so he kind of took me under his wing, and we built a good relationship back then. And to this day, we have a great relationship. And so, and the Coach Hurt and Hertsteiner, when I was a senior, he was a freshman; he came in, and so it's just kind of a a little bit of a lineage, I think, that just kind of keeps keeps moving. And I don't know, shotgun, that there's there's a cut and dry answer to that, other than just. We were coached by great people that just steered us in the right direction, made sure that that our efforts and our concentration were were going in the right direction as far as graduating from school and, and being disciplined in the classroom, being disciplined on the baseball field and letting, letting that take us as far as we could go. And I think that those influences probably had, is the reason we're, we're all coaching college baseball today.
0: You've seen your sons kind of grow up and, and go through and have that opportunity to play some professional baseball larry's son brooks just being a first-round pick we'll see if those Steiner boys uh you know there's there's several of them if uh as they grow up if they end up uh getting an opportunity to play professional as well but but take me back to those pepperdine days playing against usc you know what were your experiences like playing against usc in the 80s a time you know when usc had some you know, big name stars that would become MLB stars as well, and Mark McGuire, Randy Johnson, those type of guys. You know, what was your experiences playing USC?
1: Well, um, I think I hit my first collegiate home run at Pepperdine versus USC. I remember Jack Del Rio was catching, and I remember that. Uh, um, I remember knowing that he was a football player too. And in that game, I think, I think there was going to be a play at home plate where I was scoring from second base. And I remember as I was getting closer to home plate, he's back in the day, you could block the plate, right? You can't do that anymore. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, if, if he blocks a plate, I'm done. I've got no shot here. And luckily the ball got away from him. And so he gave me a little opening to slide around him because I would, I probably wouldn't be alive today if I ran in Jack Del Rio back then. But, uh, but yeah, Mark McGuire, obviously got a chance to watch him and, and Randy Johnson and I'm um, just a great, great players that, that had played here. You know, you, you knew about the Fred Linds and the Tom Seavers, right. You knew about all of those guys that had played here prior. Right. And, um, you understood, you know, who you were playing when you played USC. And so there was a, there was a bit of, Hey, we're going to beat them. You know, cause a lot, of, a lot of young men that grew up in, in Los Angeles, you wanted to play for USC. And then if you didn't get recruited by USC, you probably had a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. Right. And okay. Um, this is probably the number one choice, but and you but I love going to Pepperdine. I'm not saying that, that that was the case, but but yeah, you just you knew you're you were in a place that was a was a special place in, in college baseball.
0: We'll get back to Jack Del Rio on that two-sport athlete. Uh, obviously, you got a couple guys that are going to come over from from the football side uh, in a little bit. First, you know McGuire and Johnson, both two greats to wear the USC uniform. You brought in another one, a three-time All-American pitcher of the year, Seth Etherton, as your pitching coach. How did that hire come about? As a guy who's been in the pro ranks for a couple of years now.
1: Well, I would met um, Seth earlier when I had a, um, a job opening, pitching coach opening back in, at uh, at Grand Canyon. So I'd, we had talked and and spent some time together in an interview, and so I remember thinking, man, this is sharp young man who's who's had a lot of success in the college game. I knew that he played at s c and I was well aware of what he had done collegiately, so I just kind of you know you kind of just make a mental note as you move forward and and then when I got the job here, um you know wow. I think he was my first call quite honestly, um, or I knew that there was a possibility was if I do get this job. I'd love to bring you over him. He was, he's building a great career in professional baseball with AAA with the Reds. And so I didn't know if necessarily he was wanting to come back home. You know, and I really believe in talking to the Reds personnel about Seth when I started doing my research, he was going to be in a great position to be their pitching coordinator for them or be a big league pitching coach for them pretty quickly. And so I didn't know where he was, but I was excited to, that he was a strong interest in coming back home and being a coach at here. alma mater and kind of what he, what he's done here. He's, you know, a three-time all American, you know, that national player of the year in 1998 and uh, first round draft pick. I mean, it's just, it's endless, all the things that he's achieved. And he's a, he's a thinker, he's methodical, and he knows how to teach the game. He's a great communicator. Uh, our pitchers are going to be in, in great hands. And, and I know that, we need that, right? You need to, If you don't pitch well, you're gonna have a hard time establishing a program. So we've—he was my first guy I wanted to go to, and when he said yes, it was like whew, huge sigh of relief, you know, to make that happen. And Lord, I'm ecstatic that uh, that he's our pitching coach.
0: What do you think is the biggest challenge for someone going from the professional side to coaching college? Since so that's a move you made as well. Um, now you guys kind of bounced around a couple of times, uh, but, you know, making that move to college, what's the biggest change uh, when you first come in, you know, with recruiting and everything else that goes on?
1: I think part of that number one is kind of have to learn how to um, evaluate a little bit differently. Remember he's when you're a professional in professional baseball. You're, you're working with the best of the best. You're working with the best high school player, the best college player, the best Asian player, the best kid from Latin America. It's the best. And so the skill level is is very high. And so when you get here, right back to the college game, you know, there's going to be, you know, as good as USC can be, right? There's four guys drafted last year. So four guys started a pro career out of what, 30, 40 guys, 35, 40, 40 guys on the roster. And so I think you have to learn kind of to evaluate a little bit differently in that respect. Another thing is, is when you evaluate, realize that that you we can only have thirty five guys on a roster, right? And Seth is a Trojan, so I can't imagine how many people have called him and said, "Hey, I got a guy, I got a guy, I got a guy, I got a guy." Well, I've been re- reminding Seth, Seth, we we only have room for thirty five guys. He, <laughs> everybody, right? And so, so I think that's part of his balance. There is starting to trying to balance out, like, okay, who's who's the right player, right? Who's and and, and now it's. We're recruiting them, right? So we're the evaluators, right? We're the, and when you're in player development, the scout goes out and, and drafts them and they bring them to you. Your job is just develop. Here, we've got to go out and we have to play, all of us have to play general manager. We have to go watch a player and get to know the player and, and do recon on the player, talk to his high school coach, his club coach, right? Find out about the parents, everything you need to kind of look into and, and every rock you have to turn over to, to get the most information you can. And then make a decision on whether, you know, that's the guy and then bring him in and then help him develop. So there's just there's different hats you have to wear here, um, unlike in the pro game.
0: You also hired former Tulane uh, head coach Travis Jewett, one of my favorite people in in the business. There's a plethora of experience and assistant, most notably at Washington, Arizona State and for national championship team in Vanderbilt. Uh, D1 Baseball named him the number five assistant coach hire of the offseason. What do you think he brings to the staff?
1: Well, he brings great energy. Number one, he brings uh, um, experience and expertise in all phases. Um, obviously, in recruiting, recruiting coordinator at ASU and recruiting coordinator at Vanderbilt, and head coach at Tulane. Um, the last two, Vanderbilt and Tulane, very academic institutions that uh, have a little bit, a little bit, more, a little bit, a little bit higher price point as far as tuition goes, right? And so, SC is right there with that as well. And so, I think that experience will help him, you know, understand you know, the dynamics of recruiting in, in a university like this from a hitting side, we worked together at ASU briefly before I went to pro ball. And I just loved his passion for hitting and he's breaks it down. He's a great teacher. He's just talks about working from the ground up and he's in the middle of the field. And we're not, he just, he's not caught up in this huge launch angle trying to lift and get under the baseball hit a bunch of fly balls. So he understands, how we got to be effective as an offense and, you know, putting the ball in play and a lot of, we've discussed all these things. And, and I knew it prior. I mean, right. When I got the job, you know, I said, Hey man, there's, a, there's an opportunity to go to USC, you know, would you, would you come along? And he had some other opportunities, you know, he did. Um, but, but he chose to come back out West and, and, and be a part of our, our program. And man, he's, he's a big get as well. Those, those two recruits, right. You think about, Recruiting, you think about players, but when you think about recruiting those two people to our staff, are huge. And I've got, I've got Annie Jenkins as our volunteer. Annie Jenkins has been a full time guy, man. It's like it's not. I'm excited about being a guy with such great experience to come in here and be a volunteer. um, to Come back to Los Angeles, and then Sergio Brown just joined us as our director of player development. And as you know, Sergio has been a recruiting coordinator at U of A at Fullerton and Irvine, and so he's got so much knowledge in the game as well. So I feel like, man, I don't know that I could have put together a better staff. Now I just, I just got to get out of the way and let them, let them go to work.
0: And you talk about bringing those two guys in, they were both two years ago where, you know, the on-field staff at, at Cal State Fullerton, which tells you, you know, to be able to get them and what I guess are technically support staff roles, I think shows – not only what you've been able to do and uh, regard that people have around the game for you to want to to want to coach with you, but also the investment the school's willing to make in the baseball program. And having talked to you previously, as well as some of the other coaches that were involved in the process for the job inter- for the, you know, the opening, that's something that stood out to me is that everyone felt the administration was determined to get this baseball program turned around what gave you confidence when you were talking to Mike Bone to the administration that, that they're going to be do everything they can to make that happen?
1: When I first got interviewed, right when I got off the plane, I was told about the uh, um, the move to the to the Big Big Ten, and so I really didn't know how to receive that initially. But then the more I really thought about it, and then Mike shared with me the just the uh, you know the economics of it, right? right it's it's and bringing in a in a a academic setting right those universities the the academic environment of of the big 10 um and then usc jumping in with with that and so right away you get excited about just the economics of it right just you know i I obviously i don't understand all of it and i know that this huge um football you know rights and tv rights and all that and i think that that's that's great because now we're, our univer our players, our student athletes in every sport are going to be well provided for, right? And it's it's a big it's a big player, you know. And we talked about nil. We have a, a a group called Boulevard who's helping all of our athletes learn how to brand themselves and and market themselves, and and so it's everything is in place here. We got we got a beautiful stadium, and by the way, if we do change or go somewhere else it's not going to be until 2028 right for the olympics that's going to been a big deal for me in recruiting everybody thinks that we don't have a field we have a a beautiful field right outside the window right here that that just got resurfaced sod dirt it's gorgeous and it's not going anywhere so we're not going anywhere for a long time we'll be playing here at dado and this to me is one of the it's historical it's gorgeous it's got a great setting it's got great shade structure it's got the big big trees in the back I don't, you know, I'm biased, obviously um, I grew up here in Los Angeles, but uh, man, this is, this is an iconic stadium in collegiate athletics, collegiate baseball. And so I just felt like he was in it and and I love his an energy and enthusiasm for for wanting to bring, not just, not just baseball, but for every sport, Lindsay Jaffe, who was my sports administrator, sat down with her and, and she just said, Hey man, what, what do you need? Um, tell us what you need. We're going to do our very, very best to make sure you get what you need to, to, to get, to get our program to be successful um, and get to the top. And so I believed them. I still believe them. I believe in, in their mission. I believe in their vision as well for, for the teams here, you know, on campus. And so bought in and i and I'll tell you what, they have not disappointed Um, everything that we've asked for and and said was important. They're going to, they're going to get it for us.
0: I mean, you bring in two coaches that have over 35 years of coaching experience as your volunteers, your director of player development. I think that kind of speaks to that. You, you brought up the field, the Olympics. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of questions on our message board about what exactly happens then. You know, what can you explain? You know, or what were you explained? What was explained to you about the process of what will happen uh, when you know it's it's been proposed that the Olympic swimming facility will be. On the grounds of Dado, basically, we'll take out the baseball field and put in an Olympic swimming pool there. Uh, what kind of happens in that process for you and the team um, as that as that go, that happens?
1: Yes. Um, well, number one, it's it's not that hasn't been signed. It's not a guarantee that it's going to happen, but it's it's a possibility, um, and it'd be one year, 2028. So 27 of the fall, we would still work here at Dado. So 28 of the spring, right, we would have to leave and play elsewhere have a home field elsewhere and we've we've talked about um and a long ways away we've talked about dodger stadium we're talking about angel stadium we talked about going to um arizona maybe for an extended kind of a, a road trip where we stay in arizona and play at the facilities down there whether it be you know salt river or it could be at uh hoho cam it, there's different 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 ways right so we'll certainly um, there's a great park in Irvine that's just brand new. We got a stadium there as well. And there's there'll be there'll be some some challenges. There's some hurdles to get around as to where where we play. But I tell people all the time, this is this is USC. We're gonna we're gonna do it right. And it'll, and it'll only be for one year. Shotgun. It's not like it's gonna be for two or three seasons. It's gonna be be one year in the in the spring and then Olympics are over. I, I believe the way they do this swimming. Venue is it's, it's an above ground pool, so it's so it's not like they're going to actually like just tear into the the whole you know field. So maybe that that allows them to kind of to be a little bit quicker and clean it up and get them out. And then they're talking about redoing it and making a brand new dado, right, and just kind of restructuring that as well. And so we're a long ways away, and then and we get in the middle of it. It may be patient for a year, but that patience could could really pay off because we could have. As as beautiful as this place is, we could have we could have a, a new modern dado that these young men can, can play in. So um, it's all it's all good. It's you know it's not it's not it's it's exciting. It's 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 different, but it's okay. That's what that's what makes life fun and interesting. Is sometimes you you make some adjustments on 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 the fly, and we certainly would do that.
0: You grew up in a time uh, playing where the fields were not the greatest, the stadiums were not the greatest, and look at all the great stars that were still produced, so I I think you guys will figure out a way to make it happen. Uh, One of the other message board comments, uh, threads, just a common topic that is brought up whenever USC baseball is brought up is the sticker price you know usc obviously you know it's difficult to recruit to usc because of this advanced sticker price and you know the usc some of our board message board members believe usc can never become a powerhouse program again until the scholarship rules are changed and hey that may happen in a year or two as well. But, you know, we have some people even want to shutter the baseball program in exchange for a softball program. I basically delete every comment that says that because I'm just tired of it. But how do you overcome the high cost of tuition that some schools, you know, maybe 20, 40 minutes down the road don't necessarily have in such a, you know, a, a, an area that is has so many college baseball teams?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, yeah, we we have to bridge that gap. And we know this. I think the biggest challenge is for all College baseball coaches is just try to try to create depth in your in your roster, right? And you create depth by by trying to kind of share pieces of the scholarship, pieces of the pie. And you know, we we get that, and and the sticker price, as you said, is is a little bit high. But we we got as a staff. I think one of the things, number one, is is you get a degree from USC and Coach Jewett. I've heard him talk to recruits. He, he refers to it as a, as a life certificate. This. USC network, this USC family is real. And that's one of the things we share with them is yeah, you may have to have a little bit bigger investment in your son's education, but just think about when he's done, when he gets this degree, what it's going to do for your son and the doors that will be opened up. Now, they all want to play professional baseball. We're certainly going to work hard to to train that side of the game for them, help them develop their skills to be a professional player. But even the best of them don't play for, right? They, They pay for. 10 years maybe in how many years in the big leagues who knows right we know the average is, is is small but if we can help these young men get a degree and they earn it from the university of southern california that's going to pay dividends down the road so i think one thing is just kind of a mindset you know what how is this going to play into my to my son's life his future four years for the next 40 i heard coach joer refer to that as well numerous times and so but then this part is okay we got to bridge that gap and we have the Alston award now where every Every student athlete walk-on or scholarship player gets an additional, I think it's almost $6,000. And that's basically, they have to do free money, right? You get about $3,000 each semester and you have to do stuff on campus and just, just ways to enrichment programs that are in place for our athletes just to grow as people. And in the result, you, you get paid for that, which is fantastic. I think that's the way to bridge the gap. And then I referred to earlier with this whole you know what the name, image, and likeness that's that's happening around the country, and, and USC has developed a, um, a third party, like I said before, it's called the Boulevard, that's going to help our young men and, and women learn how to brand themselves, market themselves, to hopefully produce some some funds that can be generated for them and towards their education. And so those opportunities are there, and we're gonna we're gonna continue to to look at every way in which we can help our young athletes, kind of like I said, bridge that gap and. And so I think we're going to be able to do it. I think it's coming. I think it's going to continue to build. It's, it's Los Angeles. It's one of the obviously largest media markets in, in the world. And so um, we're just at the tip of the iceberg of where we're going to get with this name, image, and likeness. And I certainly appreciate the way USC is doing it. It's a third party, you know, I'll, I'll know within a year or two how much kind of outside, you know, funds are our, our guys are able to generate. And I can share with families like, Hey, if, if you get involved in our program here, you can, generate between 10 and 15 i'm not i'm not going to tell a family right now you can make a hundred thousand (laughs) dollars that that would be that'd be foolish of me to say that um it may get to that point i don't know but i think that we can we can bridge the gap you know if 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 you're looking to go somewhere it's about making a a bunch of money and and that's what it's about for you then this is probably the right spot for you and that's that's okay there's a lot of great players around the country and i'm not if 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 it comes down to hey I, I need a huge nil deal for me to 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 play at USC play baseball then to me that's that's not what this is about anyways this is about education number one you know find the right education and the right college experience for your son and so um, and I know that 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 plays a big role in it for a lot of athletes and their families but I think there's plenty of of young men and and their families that want to want to experience something that's special and you know enriching and it's going to help them. Put themselves in a great spot after their college life, or college baseball career is over, and I think SC is has that and has that to offer, and that's what we want to build here, more than anything else.
0: You talked a lot about the the recruiting pitches that that you and Coach Jewett are, are given right now, the grind you've been on the last two months trying to do that with the the recruiting. What do you feel uh, like you've been able to accomplish so far as you've been trying to build not only the program but just the roster for next season as well? With you know a number of guys that had entered the portal before you were even hired.
1: Yeah, that's been interesting. We've been hitting them hit we hit the road hard quickly and, and jumped in that the transfer portal. And they like you said, try to keep some guys from, from leaving that jumped in the portal. And it's been it's been kind of a it's real fluid. It's been up and down, it's been a roller coaster ride. But we we're excited about some of the guys that we were able to bring in. The guys we brought in, I, I like because I think they're they're glue guys. I think that they're good college baseball players that had a real positive impact on their programs that, that they were before they got here. And so um, and I think that's part of what we want to rebuild as quickly as we can. We want to build this, this culture of a great young men that just want to just sell out for the team. And I think that's what we've been able to identify and try to bring back to campus, getting that clubhouse, getting that dugout get on the field. And so um, I don't know, people ask all the time, like, Hey, what do you think of your team? I I'm looking at our, at our roster right now. I haven't. I didn't see anybody pitch on this roster. I mean, you can go to Synergy and you can like look at their video, but as far as live, I haven't seen one of these guys catching wise. I've seen Connor Cliff because he's a he's a transfer from Cal Baptist. I'm excited to have him because I know I know what he can do on a baseball field because I had to compete against him for the last two years over it when I was at Grand Canyon and at CBU, and he did he does he did a great job. He's but the other guys, I have no idea. Infielders, I'm looking at the roster. I, I don't. I haven't seen one of them. Fill the ground ball or take a swing outfit is the same and so that's the fun part too that's the exciting part I, I don't i don't look at that as a negative i look at that as like hey man it's like a it's like a grab bag man i don't know what's in there i get to pull out what we got and and then and then coach them right this, this is the guys we got i'm not we'll never say hey you know this is my class yeah this is my class I, these, are, these guys are these guys are trojans it's like we all got it we got to have the same jersey on these are these are our guys and so we're gonna we're gonna coach them up to the best of our ability and um, I'm excited about it you've
0: uh, you've put together and developed rosters at Grand Canyon how different is this July August been versus you know your last few summers at Grand Canyon where you you know that roster was more complete and you had everything kind of established and you guys had built it to a program that was able to make it to regionals the last two years
1: yeah, there there's no question there's it's different. That those were kind of settled and you kind of knew exactly what you needed. And so, you know, we don't know. I get this question all the time, Coach, what do you what do you need? Do you need a short <laughs> t- do you need a center fielder? Do you need a catcher? My my answer is like, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I'll know. Give me give me a couple of months in the fall and I'll be able to maybe identify a little bit clearer what our needs are gonna be as we move forward. Yeah, but again, that's that's what makes it exciting. It's, it kind of reminds me of my early years at Grand Canyon when we got there. Where it was the same type of feeling where we just didn't really know what you had, and it just it takes it takes a little bit of a little bit of time. And you know, I'm not talking about years. I'm just talking about months to kind of evaluate your 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 players and your skill set and try to get them to buy into the to what you're preaching and what you want to be about and how you, how you want to present your ball club. You know, in the springtime, and so and so it's just gonna. It's interesting. I don't. I don't really know. I just we had we were able to establish it there, and I think we're. It took some it took some years though, right? And so, but we were able to kind of move it pretty quickly over there as well. And so, I I think we're going to be able to do the same thing here.
0: I mean, the, the program at USC obviously has been you know basically moribund for for almost two decades. Just since they pushed Michael Espy out, the program has just not been the same. Has gone through a number of head coaches one regional appearance i believe in 17 years now how do you turn around a program that struggled so mightily for the majority of two decades
1: well i think first of all we got to we got to get the right guys we got to get the right the, the mentality in in the clubhouse and it's they've had some skill obviously i mean guys continue to get drafted mm-hmm. uh, from usc i mean like i said four guys got drafted this year so there's skill set certainly there um i think it's just a, it's a buy in um we got to have great leadership right with Obviously, it's got to come from me at the top, and our assistant coaches are great people. They're great men. They're great workers, and um, they got great energy. They're going to gonna bring in every day, and, and so I think it's just a it's a matter of the buy in to start out with, and then and then obviously, hopefully, you get guys excited about about coming to USC and wanting to be wanting to be a Trojan, right, and, and be building that back up again. What you know, we've got to be able to. In the past, it looks like you know I don't think the pro community was worried about if a kid sign an nli to, to usc i don't think that they they felt like if they wanted them they could just pay them and get them mm-hmm. um i think that we have to change that we got to we got to build a relationship with these recruits to where once they sign a letter of intent with us it's going to take a lot of money it's going to take a lot for them to start a pro career it seems like in the past you could sign a, a player here at, at usc and, and maybe the fifth or the tenth round a team comes in and kind of buys them and then like yeah, i they'll do it versus I get it. You know, when you are drafting the first first round, second round, I mean it's it's probably life-changing money that's hard to say no to. But after that, we've got to build a culture We've got to build a family here where people or our guys that we sign say, Hey, I'm not if you're not gonna draft me quick, don't draft me because I'm going to SC. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. I'm I'm gonna and understand that by coming to USC, right, that you're gonna be able to get closer to graduating, getting a degree, and in three years time you're gonna be better and you're gonna sign you're going to go from the eighth round to the first round or the second round and you're going to going to go play two or three years in the minors and not you know and not play a ball for three years down the rookie ball and so those are all things that we've got to we got to build that and that's that's just going to take recruiting the right guys and getting the buy-in to where people are excited about about what we're building here and, and come here and get after it and play as a team more than anything else and i think that's part of what we've got to hopefully and this is the high school coaches. This is, this is the club coaches. Right. And the other thing is, this is, this is it doesn't have to be just Southern California. I get it. We want, we want to be really good in Southern California and we're going to, we're going to establish that, reestablish that. But again, SC is a national brand. I mean, there's no reason why we can't go to Texas or Chicago or, or New Jersey or New York or Florida to recruit. And so we're, we're certainly trying to look, look at different avenues to get, get outside of the state of, um, of California. And in a couple
0: uh, a couple of years, you'll be playing a lot of games in that that Midwest area and uh, the Northeast. So we'll see if uh, some more recruits start. You know, the, the recruiting horizons expand there. But you, you talked about you know you got to get the right type of players in. You, and one of the biggest things is always getting competitors. I think anytime you have a two-sport guy, those those guys are competitors. You got a couple of guys that are going to be coming over. You got a big recruit, obviously you're not allowed to talk about. Um, but you know when you're looking at dual-sport athletes, you know especially guys that are football players. And you've got Austin Overn, you've got Mario Williams that are slated to come over to join the baseball team after the football season ends. What's the what's the challenge with those guys and what do you like about potential two sport guys considering you know Grand Canyon didn't have a football team, so that wasn't something that you necessarily have dealt with before?
1: Well, I think I think one of the biggest challenges is baseball, as you know, it's such a repetitive game in practice, right? You got to get, you know, get your swings in and your arm care and play catch and do your long toss. And so I think the biggest challenge there is is trying to help those guys stay baseball ready even though they're obviously competing on a football field in in the fall right and as we get into the winter time and so it's, it's so they've got to be able to do things on their own they've got to be able to understand like okay, i've got to if i want to be competitive on a baseball field in springtime it's hard just to show up in in january or february and say hey i'm ready to play baseball <laughs> so I, I i did i played with a guy that could do that his name was Deion sanders um, <laughs> um and i I haven't seen many people that could do that. Um, he may be one, the only one possibly, but uh, so it just takes, that's the challenge in that respect. But, and the other thing, like you said, the benefits are like, I love, you know, the the guy that's been getting hit in football and getting back up and just the grind of football practice and what that's like, it's tough. It's not easy. I'm watching these guys work out, you know, and it's, it's hot and it's, they're out there getting after it and they're getting banged up, but they get back up and they keep working. And I think there's a toughness that, to typically you get when you recruit a football player or you get them on your baseball team there's a there's an added edge there and i don't know either one of them you know mario or austin very well but i'm looking forward to to meeting the both of them but i'm excited it's kind of cool there's not many guys that can do this i mean come on can play two sports especially at, at at usc you know in a power five and um it's, it's amazing that they're that gifted athletically they can they can actually pull this off. And so kudos to them. But same time, we'll see where it all goes. But typically at some point they find out which one they're better at, right? Mm-hmm. You'll see them kind of like kind of start gravitating more towards that one if they feel like an NFL career is is a stronger possibility than an MLB career or vice versa. And so um, we'll see how it all plays out, but you know, I'm excited for both of them, I'm looking forward to watching him great success in the football on the football field.
0: Now, obviously, uh, Drake London had the similar uh, ordeal with uh, basketball. You know, deciding which sport to play uh, and choosing football and becoming a first round pick. USC obviously has a big history a lineage of two sport athletes and particularly football baseball with Anthony Munoz Jack Del Rio and some of the others but it hasn't happened in a while so we'll see if Mario and Austin you know if they make it over and can make an impact with both programs or not uh, should be really interesting to, to see and you know hope that they are because that's just that's fun as a fan and as, as someone covering uh, getting to see those dual sport athletes Andy thanks so much for taking the time I've kept you much longer than anticipated but one final question just lastly why do you think USC Fans should be excited about the direction in the program. You talked about football players having an edge, being tough. You are a former football player as well. I uh, don't want anybody to not know that about you. So, you know, why do you think they should be excited about having you at the helm of the program and, and the direction this program is heading?
1: Um, Jack I think I would say, namely, I think we're going to be we're going to play the game right. Right? We're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to hustle on off the field. We're going to get down the line. Uh, fundamentally I want people to come watch us and, and say, Hey man, these guys respect the game. They respect the opponent. They respect the umpires. They play together as a team. Um, they got great team chemistry. They work together. Um, they work hard. We're not going to be a program that's going to ever embarrass ourselves on the field or off the field. We're not going to be a program that we're going to, we're to be a program that makes our alumni proud. We want to be a program that, that I want people to look at us and say, Hey, it may not have been a win today, but they play the game the right way. It means a lot to them. They play hard and they do it right. And so I think that that's what, what I think what people are going to see more than anything else is, is just a commitment to the fundamentals of the game a commitment to the details of the game. We're going to pitch. We're going to play defense. We're going to put the ball in play. Um, We're, we're going to, we're going to do fine. Um, um, We're got great coaching staff that know how to coach these young men know how to Encourage them know how to kick them in the tail when they need to be kicked in the tail and wrap our arms around them when they need to be, when that needs to happen as well. And so I think it's uh, this a fundamentally sound ball club and it may not be all, all glitzer and all, glamor all the time, but, but we'll be effective. We'll, we'll, we'll teach them the right way to play the game.
0: Andy, thanks so much for taking the time. We really appreciate
1: you joining the podcast. Shaka, my pleasure. Anytime. See you soon.
0: Thanks so much to Andy Stankowitz for taking the time to join us in between his busy schedule as he works to build his first staff and roster at USC. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with one of college baseball's biggest personalities, Mike Rooney. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Make sure you guys check out those sponsors as well as the Parastyle Podcast official sponsor Trader Joe's. Make sure you pick up those maple cookies. Those are always my favorite. Uh, we talked with USC head coach Andy Stankwins before the break, but now we're going to get to a very unique perspective on the hire. We welcome in D1 Baseball's national analyst and ESPN color commentator Mike Rooney to the Hurt It On The Sidelines podcast. Rooney, if you don't know, is one of college baseball's biggest personalities. Perhaps most notably, he is a mainstay on ESPN's bases loaded programming which is college baseball's version of the NFL Red Zone during the opening two weekends of the NCAA tournament. He's bouncing back and forth between games. He's dropping knowledge on all of them. He's making predictions, making jokes all the time. Everyone loves it. One of the one of the best parts of college baseball is being able to catch up with all the other games, listening to Runes and the crew that's in studio for, for those couple of weekends. But Runes, who is based in the Phoenix area, Worked at Arizona State previously, was a coach, was the director of ops there. So he spent some time with Andy Stankowitz, was on staff together for a year there. He's also done some color commentary for Grand Canyon Baseball, basically since Andy Stankowitz was hired. So there's no national writer, no analyst that can talk about USC's hire of Andy Stankowitz better. Roos, thanks for taking the time to jump on with it.
2: Yeah, you got it, Shadi. First of all, it's a pleasure. I'm going to start with a correction, Shadi. So you and I are getting so old. That what was once called bases loaded, you are correct. The <laughs> whip round show is now called squeeze play. So we've gone from the beginning motif to we're back to bunning. Uh, but but uh, I appreciate that intro very much and yeah so we've gone from bases loaded to squeeze play rebranded so there you have it
0: this is what happens when I take my month off from baseball uh, before football Uh, starts Uh, you know I try to flush everything as much as possible but hey let's jump right into it what are your Mm -hmm. thoughts on the hire of Andy Stankwitz by USC
2: yeah I mean awesome hire right like you know a couple years ago there was people you know saying that hey like Arizona State should be looking very seriously at Andy Stankwitz and You know, I I would say anytime there's been a big job on the West Coast, even outside the West Coast, Andy Stankowitz's name has been coming up for a long time. You know, he's super well respected for his big league career. Obviously, he was an assistant coach at Arizona State during a time when the teams were excellent. I mean, you know, 2007, 8, 9, 10. um, He was there in the fall before the 2010 season where Arizona State was the number one team in the NCAA tournament and made it to Omaha. But you know, I, I think the question became, would Andy Stankiewicz go to USC? And, and, you know, Andy Stankiewicz is a SoCal guy. So is his wife. His kids are grown. Obviously, the the Grand Canyon program has gone, you know, like you're now you're talking back to back regionals for Grand Canyon. So I, I think it's, um, you know, it, it, at first, you're just kind of like, ah, I don't know, like, would Stanky really do that? And then for USC to land him, I thought was huge. And I would just tell you, Stank, or, uh, Shadi, that there's more, ex- this is for me as an outsider, I, I just feel like there's more excitement around the USC athletic department now than there's been in, I mean, it just felt like USC and athletics has just kind of, I don't know what, like kind of lost at sea for a while. And um, the baseball program, it, you know, there, there's been some really good coaches come through there and just couldn't gain any traction. But it does feel like this is the most excitement around the athletic department since, you know, Pete Carroll. And I I, I always worry that I'm going to mispronounce the last name, but I believe the new AD's name is Mike Bone. Mm -hmm. And um, I I think, you know, he's a real AD, right? Like this is a guy that's a a professional who, uh, no offense to the other guys who were, you know, USC Hall of Famers. But this is not an easy athletic department to run. And uh, it just feels like the whole athletic department's headed on a better trajectory right now.
0: I love that you give that perspective as an outsider, just kind of looking in at it, but that's exactly what we've been saying for a while on our site here is that, Hey, they hired someone that is qualified for the job rather than someone that scored touchdowns at USC right. in the past, which mm-hmm. had been the previous three athletic director hires for USC getting my bone to come in. And there were some question marks, you know, keeping clay Helton his first year, uh, you know, wh- what was the decision behind that and all that. But, it seems to have worked out okay for them with the football hire of keeping Clay Helton around for next year year. Uh, didn't work out last season. Obviously last season was very bad, but they hire Lincoln Riley this off season. Does that kind of allow Andy Stankowitz a little bit of a, uh, be able to fly under the radar a little bit, uh, you know, just because there's such a, a a high profile coach on the field that's practicing right behind the stadium?
2: Well, I think yes. I think for sure that that gives Andy Stankowitz some space to operate because you know this this USC job is not going to be an easy turnaround. It has been down for a long, long time. I mean, nearly two decades. And you know, you could argue that some of the the baseball hires by USC weren't you know great hires, but you could also argue that some of the hires were excellent. I mean, Jason Gill did an outstanding job at Loyola Marymount, and and you know it was very a very short stint, but couldn't you know really didn't gain traction at USC. So I think. I would say it this way, Shadi. First of all, the 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 excitement around football, Lincoln Riley, the Big Ten, that creates excitement and spotlight that helps the Andy Stankiewicz baseball program in two ways. First of all, it generates the buzz that helps in recruiting, but it also gives you what you're alluding to the space to just hey, we got to lay a foundation. We've got to we've got you know it's almost like a a complete demo and rebuild to me USC baseball. Um, and, and, it, and it won't be easy, but I, I think that Andy Stinkwitz is is the best hire they've made in a long time, and and I think Andy Stinkwitz has made great hires on top of it.
0: Yeah, and talking about those hires, uh, his first hire was Travis Jewett, you know the former Tulane head coach, assistant on Vanderbilt National Championship team, assistant at Arizona State at Washington before that. Now did you guys did you guys cross over at all during your Arizona State time? Yeah, no, no. Yeah, Travis
2: Jewett's first stint at Arizona State. I'm taking credit for that. He was my <laughs> recruit. I was the baseball ops person, and um, you know, w- was uh, you know, very passionate about trying to have Travis come to to Arizona State because I will to finish. Uh, I'll, you did the back end of Travis's resume, Shadi. I'll do the front end. You know, Travis is a self made baseball guy from Tacoma, Washington. Was a junior college head coach up there then worked at Gonzaga, and we know how good that Gonzaga baseball program is. You know, Travis Stewart then goes to Washington in really a heyday time under Ken Knutson. Those Washington teams were absolutely legit. They were NCAA tournament teams. That's right around the time Tim Lincecum was headed to Washington. Then Travis Stewart goes to Washington State, and, you know, the last the last two times Washington State's made a regional were 2009 and 2010. It's been like two regionals in 40 years and Travis Jewett was an assistant coach on, you know, he was the, the recruiting coordinator. Then he comes to Arizona State. The success just keeps rolling. Vanderbilt National Championship ring. You know, I thought Tulane, you know, I, I didn't agree with, you know, them terminating Travis, but I'm a Travis Jewett apologist. And I, I thought it was just an outstanding hire for Andy Stankowitz in a million different ways.
0: So, ha- having that background with Stanky with Travis Jewett, what stands out to you about both of those coaches uh, in the role that they'll be in for USC—the recruiting coordinator role for Travis Jewett, the hitting coach uh, portion of it—and then Stanky, you know, built, being able to build programs like he did at Grand Canyon, a team that was struggling, and then at, in, at the D two level, turns them into a you know a D two college World Series team. Goes through that transition period where you can't go the postseason, really tough mm-hmm. to recruit and do anything else at that point. And to turn them into a team in the whack that gets an at-large bid, something that hadn't happened in over a decade. Yeah, I mean, I think for both coaches, you know, for Stanky and for Travis Jewett,
2: they both have great experience with rebuilds. And that, I, I view USC as a complete rebuild. You know, like this is, you can take the history and you could throw it out the window because the, the, the recruits that are going to make a difference for USC, they weren't even born when <laughs> the, the heyday was happening. Their parents hadn't even met yet. You know, like I don't even know if some of the parents of these recruits were alive during the USC baseball heyday. So, you know, for, for Travis Jewett and Stanky, the, these guys know how to do a rebuild. I think they're also um, they know what winning college baseball looks like. I also think that these are two gentlemen where if you're a parent, it's what you're looking for. These are really good baseball guys, really talented baseball teachers who are going to challenge your son but in a loving environment, you know, it's, it's not a challenge them. And then your kid hates baseball. It's hey, here's the standard and we're going to challenge the the team to get to that standard, but it's going to be done. You know, you, you sit down with any Stankwitz and Travis Jewett, those are the type of people you want your son playing for, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Stanky in particular, because he's, you know, his, his name is the the name on the letterhead. I mean, I, I just think that's the the ultimate at Stanky is he's, He's one of the very best people I've met in the game of baseball, and yet there's a competitiveness. There's an intensity uh, that that is going to be, you know, that's part of all winning programs.
0: Yeah, USC hired, you know, Jewett hired Seth Etherton as the pitching coach. Those are the two paid assistants. But then they brought in Andy Jenkins as the volunteer with Sergio Brown as the director of player development, two guys with more than 35 years combined coaching experience what does that tell you about the buy-in from the university? I know we mentioned the athletic department in, in, in um, you know just the direction they've been going the last couple of years but you know that really st- stood out to me that you go and get two guys that 2 years ago were the on-field coaches at Cal State Fullerton as kind of your support staff roles now. Yeah, I
2: mean you, you think about that this is crazy but if I'm not mistaken of those five guys th- four of them have national championship rings. I think Sergio Brown has a national championship ring from his playing days at Cal State Fullerton. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think I am. So think about that. You've got four men with national championship rigs. And and I, I think there's two parts to it. One is without the university stepping up and hiring Andy Stankiewicz, those other guys don't come, right? That, that just ain't happening. And so you, you make the big hire, the splash hire with Stanky, and now you've got college baseball's attention. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, what you've got is you've got five men there that know what it takes to get to Omaha and you know that, that those are the aspirations for USC clearly I you know you know again I don't mean to be pejorative here shoddy but they're a long way from Omaha right now mm-hmm. you know like for USC I mean it, it, I'm just doing the math in my head really quickly it's like one regional appearance in 17 years I mean it, it's ugly right now so there's a there's a massive cultural rebuild that's got to go on in the baseball program um but, but, you know, again, you're, you're located in Southern California and USC is a, you know, a world class institution. The football program's buzzing again. They're, you know, th- this feels like a great buy low to me.
0: Yeah. And USC didn't really do Stankowitz any favors with the timing of the hire not happening until July. Uh, you know, they were you had a couple other uh, targets that they weren't weren't able to hire uh, before landing Stankowitz. How does that July hire affect the rebuilding efforts for the staff? Does that put them behind the eight ball for this season completely? And, you know, cause they had a number of, of players enter the transfer portal or is there things that can still be done this season to, to make some strides in that rebuilding effort?
2: Yeah, I think it's um, I, I think June, July, it didn't matter, right? Like it's just, you know, if, if you look at what David Esker did in kind of revamping the Stanford program, I think Andy Stankowitz and the staff are going to have to look a little further out in the recruiting cycle. You know, the best 2023s are already committed. They were committed two years ago, at least. Um, maybe you can, um, you can make an impact on 2024 class. To me, the 2025 class and beyond is where Andy Stankowitz and his coaching staff are going to really start to, to put their anchors down. And, um, you know, so you're right. The later summer hire hurts you in the draft. It hurts you with transfers. But I, I don't think you can think of it in this terms. I, I think if you're Andy Stankiewicz and the staff, you really, you know, you know, try to do some work in the transfer portal, sure. Try to keep some guys, you know, get some guys to return that maybe would sign as free agents. But at the end of the day, um, it's really about planting some flags on the recruiting trail.
0: And they have been picking up some some commits uh, in the 24 class and the 25 class already. Uh, A couple of pickups actually in the 23 class, including K.J. Harrison's little brother. uh, People remember him from Oregon State. But what's kind of the biggest key for this program to start turning that corner, start making strides to be One competitive and then potentially start competing for regionals uh, year in the year out, which is what, you know, kind of is the is what this program should at least be able to do should at least be in the conversation every year, instead of battling to be at 500. I mean, you said it one regional in 17 years, but it's something like it's either two or three years above 500 in that stretch too so a lot a lot of times you know right like right below 500 but you know just what do they have to do to to take that next step to be you know in the regional conversation at least for most years
2: yeah i would say you know the the talent level has got to increase significantly you know like that's just uh, the you know not to be critical of the current roster or past players but you know it just You know, it it wasn't an accident that it's one regional in so many years and and what you just mentioned, Shadi. So I think the first thing is, what's the recruiting plan going to be? I'll tell you the good news is that the Big Ten and the influx of funds from the Big Ten could really help the baseball program. Because if you look at private schools in college baseball, I'm thinking of Vandy, I'm thinking of Rice, I'm thinking of Stanford. They've had some really high highs in college baseball. And part of it was financial aid. We may be entering a time in college baseball where the scholarship limit is going to be loosened significantly. So USC is a school that could choose to participate in that. They could choose to participate in it tonight as we sit here, Shadi, on the financial aid side. They could say, hey, we're going to devote. No one can police how USC spends their financial aid dollars. So they could say, hey, we're going to devote a bunch of that to increasing, you know, to, to making our baseball program more attractive when the scholarship limits increase they could participate fully in that. I'll tell you the other thing is we're seeing so many so many high school baseball players leave California for their college experience and there's two parts of that that could help USC. Part 1 is they're they're not choosing the state schools in California. It's not hurting Stanford And it's not hurting UCLA. Now, UCLA, I guess, technically is a state school. But to me, it feels like more of a, you know, the UC system's a little bit different, um, at least to my naive eyes, not being a Californian. So I think USC could still thrive in that area because they're more of a national school than just a California school. I think the other thing is all these California kids that are leaving Cali to go play college baseball, it doesn't work out for all of them. So I think those kids that come back to California... Uh, that could be a really interesting recruiting avenue for USC as well. But I think it's, hey, you got to establish culture and identity. You gotta, that, that's got to then materialize on the recruiting trail. Um, and I, I think you've got to capitalize on the excitement of increased funding. The Big Ten football programs got its mojo back. It appears, you know, it, it could be a perfect storm for USC baseball, quite honestly.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you, you know, does it get easier or harder for them to turn around the program when you go to the big 10 in 2024, obviously there's going to be travel issues and baseball is going to be one of the sports that's probably going to be affected the most by the travel, um, you know, just with the way the schedules are normally set up with a midweek game and a three game series on the weekend. Uh, But There's also the influx of cash, and also the Big Ten is just not as strong as the Pac-12 is, at least top to bottom. Now, there are teams that are – it's more cyclical, I feel like, in the Big Ten versus in the Pac-12. You know, you pretty much had UCLA, Oregon State, and Stanford be up there with Arizona, Arizona State, usually in the mix as well, Um, whereas it it seems like in the Big Ten – You'll have a team be up there and then they're down for a year and then another team will come up. So it it feels like a little bit more cyclical. I don't know if that's exactly the rules in the big 10. How do things change when USC and UCLA make that jump for baseball?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's a huge advantage. I mean, in theory, UCLA and USC should have a massive recruiting advantage over the rest of the big 10, the big 10 schools are so they're such great. I mean, these are world-class institutions, so they attract athletes. Um, Just by definition. But if you're a college baseball player or a college baseball recruit, more more importantly, you want to go south, right? Like nobody wants to go to cold weather to play baseball. (laughs) Now, some kids choose it because the school's just that great or they they just love the school or the program that much. But, you know, given all things being equal, Warm weather, cold weather. Every baseball player, as you and I know, Shoddy chooses warm weather. So I think that's an, a recruiting advantage for SC and UCLA. I think the other thing for SC is there have been some really ugly finishes in the Pac-12, and, and I don't, I just don't see that as possible in the Big Ten. You know, like I, I it, there there are there are ways USC can finish at the bottom of the Pac-12. I'm not sure there are ways that USC can finish at the bottom of the Big Ten. So. You know, maybe I'm wrong. I think there's some momentum that can be built there. I'll tell you the other thing that's going to help USC and UCLA, not that they need help, but I worry about the Big Ten schools. They travel so much in the first part of the season that it's almost like they kind of limp in to the, the, the conference season, and then they're just trying to get their feet underneath of them, and by the time they really find their groove, they're either in the postseason or they're in summer ball. And USC and UCLA are not going to have to travel like that. So I wonder if they could be a little bit fresher coming into the conference season. Now, you could also argue that they're going to have to, they're going to have a bunch of California kids. They're going to have to play in some really rough conditions that where where the Purdue's and the Indiana's and the Michigan's are going to have a distinct advantage. I don't know. The, the other thing that could happen is maybe USC and UCLA recruit a more national profile. I don't know. I mean, maybe the, the talent in California is so good, they don't have to do that, but um I don't know. It's going to be very interesting, but I I just feel very optimistic on USC baseball for the first time in a very long time.
0: That's very interesting. You say that, and you, you mentioned the cold weather and you know that no baseball wants to play there. And I should mention, this is a Notre Dame Notre Dame baseball alum <laughs> right. speaking right. about this. So you played in the cold, uh, yeah. so you know. And uh, we'll see what your Irish can do in football. And that that game at the end of uh, Thanksgiving weekend will, will be one that, that Runes and I will be texting back and forth about as every year. But uh, we get this question on our message board, so I'm just going to throw it out to you. And it's one of the, the most annoying questions to me should the University of Southern California shutter its baseball program in favor of a softball program?
2: No, in the, <laughs> they should do the option C, which is both like have softball and baseball. Like, first of all, softball is not expensive. Like you could build a gorgeous softball stadium for $5 million. You know, it's, you have a smaller team, so you need smaller amenities the crowds are not as big, and so you don't, you know, it, it, you don't need as big of a stadium. In theory, um, you know, it, it, it's it's a small. Yeah, I I think do both. I mean, crazy not to do both. But um, shutter baseball. I mean, that would be. I mean, talk about blasphemy. Goodness gracious. <laughs> think think about the big leaguers that went to USC and um, just to to shutter the program. Oh my gosh, yeah. But but by all means, get softball. Why not? <laughs>
0: Uh, so, so if they're keeping baseball, how does USC overcome you know the exorbitant cost of attendance in a sport where? You know, Right now, at least, 11.7 scholarships is divided among a 30- 30 to 35-man roster. You talked about Stanford. You talked about Vanderbilt. Obviously, they have very big um, academic programs that assist the baseball program with that scholarship limitation, and USC is working towards that. And Andy's talked about that a little bit earlier in our show about some of the things that they are doing. Um, and he's still kind of learning all the different things at USC and the, the programs right. that they're trying to do. But they're trying to do some of those things, uh, just not quite on the same scale as Vanderbilt or Stanford yet but you know what's the biggest thing to overcome that how do you you know if you if you were on the staff right now how do you go about recruiting and how do you go about figuring out how you put together a a talented squad uh, when you know it's going to be tough to recruit some players because of the price the price point just in itself yeah I mean I think I think you
2: know you have a ton to sell right Southern California I mean this is the University of Southern California and it's, you know, an incredible academic institution. Um, you know, the football program is a national brand, all those types of things. But, you know, you are right. The, the, the price tag is, is a thing. And so I, I think there's two parts. The key for Andy Stankowitz being successful at USC, Shadi, is going to be twofold. Number one is, what is the program identity going to be? And then, simul- you know, at the same time, simultaneously, you have got to increase your salary cap whether that's scholarships when the the limit gets loosened, whether that's NIL money, whether that's convincing the school to unleash more of the financial aid money on the baseball program, or all three of those things, you have got to increase your salary cap. Because if USC is going to just sit at 11.7 with next to no financial aid, no NIL, no increased scholarships when the rest of the series programs are going to increase scholarships, You got no chance. You're going to get more of the same. And you know what's the sad part, Shadi? It could get worse. It really could get worse if the rest of the world increases their investment in college baseball. But that said, there's no there's no reason USC can't make the choice to get more invested. And and I think I think if they do get more invested, there will be quick returns. I think USC can get from irrelevant in college baseball to a real player very, very quickly within five to six years. I think they can, you know, it, it takes two really good recruiting classes and then you've got momentum. Um, but, but I think the first part, Shadi, is the identity, who, who, what, what's it going to look like? The identity of the program is going to be important because otherwise you're just throwing cash around. Um, and, y- you know, it, here's the thing, like USC still has 11.7 scholarships. And what I worry about it, even as we sit here today, what I worry about is the program identity has just been all over the place. And so you're just throwing the money around and there's this it's not fitting together. So I I think the investment in the program, as far as player acquisition goes, that is absolutely critical. The school's got to help. The coaching staff's got to be active in that way. But there's got to be a really clear identity of, hey, here's what the players who are going to take us back to Omaha look like. And now let's make sure we've got the funding to go get them and let's go get them.
0: Is that maybe, does it maybe help Andy Stankiewicz and the staff? Because, you know, they did have a number of players enter the transfer portal. They did have, you know, four guys drafted, including, you know, a couple of their most talented players. Basically they're starting from scratch on the pitching side. Is that, Potentially, could they view that as an advantage of saying, "Hey, we're not keeping around some guys that have some talent, are going to hold, you know, are going to pitch some innings for us, but don't really fit into, you know, the the style that we're looking for"? So we can just start from scratch, and you know, maybe even similar to how Lincoln Riley came in, and obviously the 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 roster has just been completely overhauled in his time. You know, can you see that as being an advantage for them that they're kind of starting without a ton of talent and kind of just kind of bare bones right now and having to Build from scratch, and maybe it's a rough year to begin with the first season, but that helps them out in the long run, just because you know that that they don't have any filler in in the midst that's taking up those at bats for the guys that they're you know that they're looking at that really fit the style of play they want.
2: Yeah, I think I think you can look at it two ways, right? You can look at it as hey, there's not a lot of scholarship commitments, so you can really dive into the 2024 and 2025 classes. Um, You know, like those those two things may come together. But I think the bottom, the thing that's scary is if the talent level in the program right now is at a lower level, that is going to lead to losing. And it's really hard to build the culture of your program without wins. You know, like it, it's one of those leadership tenants, right? Like the leader can do a lot of different things. But if the leader doesn't show the group to success, eventually the message gets lost. And so I, I think it's a double-edged sword. I think your point's well taken though that. This really is a blank slate. I really I feel like the athletic department is probably very realistic in what's possible and what's not possible. Um, But, you know, I I do think it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, Maybe the transfer portal can help a little bit. But, you know, you know, it goes, Shadi, like the most attractive transfers are going to one place and one place only. And that's the SEC right now.
0: Very true. I mean, you see Thatcher Hurd at UCLA, potential guy that's going to be a first round pick, maybe top 10, maybe even 1-1. One, one. Uh, he makes the jump when there was really no reason necessarily there. But besides that, he wanted to pitch in the SEC and you see in, you know, schools like LSU have just been loading up. And unfortunately for the West, you know, the transfer portal has been sending a lot more talented players from the West. Towards the east, towards the southeast, then players returning um, outside of maybe Oregon and Arizona uh, State has gotten a couple of guys, but uh, you know mostly the the talent is going the opposite direction rather than you know it flowing back to the west in, in some way. So we'll, we'll see how that continues to develop because the transfer portal is still very fresh. And I think college baseball coaches are still finding their way through it a little bit. And mm-hmm. you know, I think you you look at some of the other sports and you know the success that that some teams have had with really diving in the transfer portal. And sometimes when they haven't had success, and then you look at baseball and you see a team like Texas A&M who goes out and gets the right uh, the right transfers for them. weren't necessarily all big name guys, but you know a, a team that wasn't that talented last year and suddenly they're in the college world series because they picked the right guys so it, I, I think coaches are still learning how to go about the transfer portal at the same time so i, I think that's going to be interesting but one of the things that i think that is huge for usc and you mentioned earlier you said they just haven't had the talent in the last two decades really Um, and you go back to the the 98 championship team and you look at some of the players that are on there and you talked about all the big leaguers from this this uh this program in in the history of usc baseball but one of the names that stands out to me is is a guy like morgan insberg because Mm -hmm. he was a walk-on initially at usc so and he developed into a guy that goes to the big leagues and becomes an all-star i believe uh in, in the bigs as well The player development side just hasn't necessarily been there, in my opinion, uh, because they've gotten some big name recruits, but you never seen those big name recruits go from, uh, you know, they're talking about maybe he could get fifth, eighth round money to him becoming a second round pick after his time at USC. It's instead he's a 10th or a 12th round pick, you know, three years later when he goes in what do you think is the biggest area of player development um, that the USC needs to attack and, and where, what gives you uh, belief that Andy Stankiewicz can do that with what he's shown at Grand Canyon in the past?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think first of all, the coaching staff, you know, Andy Stankiewicz at Grand Canyon, you're not getting the first choice, right? Like you're, you're getting a development piece, you know, Jacob Wilson, who's going to be a first round pick at Grand Canyon next year. If he was a good runner in high school, he doesn't end up at Grand Canyon. He was slow as molasses in high school because he hadn't gained any strength yet. You know, his dad's a famous big leaguer. You could see a good player in there, but he comes to Grand Canyon, gets stronger, and kaboom, right? Now you got a first round pick. Hey, Travis Jewett's got an incredible track record of player development, starting when he was in the Pacific Northwest. Andy Jenkins, what they did at, at Oregon State. You know, uh, again, it, it's, I, I think this staff's got a track record there. But I will tell you, Shadi, that some of the previous coaches did, too. The problem I see at USC is it's just been we're throwing darts, right? Like we're just changing coaches. There's no continuity. And, you know, when there's no continuity, it wrecks recruiting. It wrecks player development. And, you know, it's a coach inherits somebody else's recruits. And so maybe their player development vision is not the same. So I'm optimistic on it. But I will tell you that it's not just player development you know, back in the heyday for USC, UCLA was a good program, but they were not raking in top five recruiting classes every year. So that's an issue. Uh, The Big big West was basically Long Beach and Cal State Fullerton. Cal Poly was underfunded. UC Santa Barbara was underfunded. You know, the, the Big West is deeper than it was in USC's heyday. The WCC is much deeper now than it used to be. So Uh, the, The SEC wasn't recruiting prime time, you know, California recruits back then. So I think I think it's a different recruiting landscape for USC now than it was 25 years ago. All that said, I still think USC can be really, really good. I'll tell you the one concern that I have for UCLA and USC, Shadi, is the Big Ten does not do a good job exposing its baseball programs to the world. If you think about it, if the Pac-12 signs an ESPN deal, and again, full disclosure, my bias has to be accounted for, I work for ESPN. But think about this. If the Pac-12 signs an ESPN deal and the Big 12 signs an ESPN deal, every weekend the college baseball world will be locked in on ESPN Plus or one of ESPN's linear networks. And the Big Ten will just be playing baseball on whatever they have. And so that's a real concern for me. If you've got everyone else, you know, I I think that's why California kids are picking the SEC because the SEC network has gained so much prominence. So I'm a little worried about the TV situation. All that said, Shadi, with the money that the Big Ten institutions are getting, getting from this contract, they can fix all of that because I don't care what channel you're on. If you've got 25 scholarships and the other schools have 12, you should win, right? Like that <laughs> money talks.
0: Yeah, and, and you, you point out, uh, you know, the big, the, the the Pac-12 could potentially get an ESPN deal, which would be great because then we could see some of those Oregon State, Stanford, you know, Cooper Jerpy striking out 17. I can't get it to work on my TV or the Pac-12 right. app or anything. Um, And, you know, there being softball replays on on the Pac-12 network when there's top 10 matchups in in Pac-12 baseball. It's like, why are you not putting on programming that you are already live streaming somewhere? It doesn't have to be the greatest quality product. You can deal with the complaints there, but put it on live TV. I have such an issue with the Pac-12 network. So I'm excited to see what they can do with the next next deal potentially and see where that takes, you know, at least for baseball side of it. Um, And unfortunately, USC won't necessarily be a part of that. But they will probably still be playing a number of Pac-12 teams, so they might actually still be a part of that as well, because a lot of the non-conference series, I think USC and UCLA will be able to play against Pac-12 programs because you want to help that RPI. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about in some of the other sports losing those rivalries and stuff, but I think you'll see. USC play in Stanford and Cal or play in Oregon State, uh, those things going forward, and hopefully those will be televised so everyone can see them. Runes, I want to let you get out of here. Thank you so much for the time, but I got to ask you, we talked about the scholarship potential, and that is obviously a huge thing when USC baseball fans look at anything what can you tell our listeners about the potential of the NCA making those adjustments to the scholarship limitations that are currently in place? You know, we've mentioned it, we've talked about it, kind of talked around it, but not really specifically. So tell them what, what what is kind of the talk right now about the potential of them upping that limit on 11.7 scholarships?
2: Yeah, I I, I can, I'm not in the weeds on it, Shadi, like others are, but I Mm. will tell you like from a global perspective, what's happening is this transformation committee in the NCA one of the things that is being looked at is hey is it really fair to have the nca govern division 1 baseball for instance when there's 300 schools that are you know not similar in many ways at all and to try and create one set of rules for those schools is it's an impossible task it's a fool's errand so what the what the theory is is that the, the transformation committee would take the nca and then you just kind of move those decisions to a more local level, aka conferences. So conferences then decide, hey, here's what our scholarship limitations are in baseball. Here's how many coaches we can pay in baseball. And that makes a ton of sense because now you've got peers creating rules for peers as opposed to, I mean, think about how ridiculous it is to create a scholarship limit for Mississippi State who averages 15,000 or whatever it is, let's call it 11,000 fans a game in baseball, more than the Tampa Bay Rays. Mississippi State is governed by the same rule as St. Peter's. Hashtag go peacock, strut and stop. right? <laughs> like St. Peter's has zero scholarships, I'm guessing. Mississippi State's got 11,000 people at every game. And they, they have the same governing body? I mean, that's just completely asinine. And so that's what that's the general gist of it is. Let's take decision making down to the conference level where now you're talking about actual peers.
0: And if that happens, then we could see an increase. And then the question becomes, what does that increase go? And does the Big Ten go full in, Uh, you know, as as hard as the ACC and SEC? You know, is it going to be? 18, 20, 24, 20, what it could be a, a bunch of different things. So we're still waiting to see all those things. Yeah. But I wanted you know to get that overview for our listeners if they don't have a, a true idea of what the what we're kind of have been mentioning a couple of times. But because there's not any strict logistics on it right yeah. now, so we can't really give all those specifics. But that's kind of the conversation that's going on. And if that happens, obviously with USC's financial um, situation, the, the cost of attendance, cost of tuition, that would definitely benefit USC if they were a program that went you know, went in as far as they could go, as far as scholarships and stuff, just because of the cost uh, to kind of mitigate for some of those families and whatnot. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how this Andy Stankowitz hire uh, pays off. But from everyone I talked to, I don't know if you had a chance to see the article I did that had over 40 coaches uh, on the West Coast kind of chime in on what they thought of the hire. I literally did not get a negative response uh, yeah. about Andy Stankwitz. I think that tells you everything you need to know because there are some coaches that will, will – get that, or most coaches will give it to you straight – And if they don't think a coach is very good, they will let you know uh, whether it's on the record or off. But I haven't had no one say anything negative about the hire for USC. Everyone really respects Andy Stankiewicz, and runes can obviously tell you that having worked with him. But, uh, you know, runes, thanks so much for taking the time and chatting a little bit about this hire that USC's made. You got it, Shadi. Always a pleasure. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Hurry on the Sidelines podcast, part of the Peristyle podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thanks again to Andy Stankwitz and Mike Rooney for coming on the show, and to all of you for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, and leave us a review on your podcast listening platform, and I hope you guys can join us for the next episode of the Herd It on the Sidelines podcast.